This is the Howell Creek Radio address for Monday, March 2nd, 2009. I'm Joel Dewick. fumbling lumber and swinging hammers over at Swaledale House were put on ice this morning for good and all. During the drive home from the second ever holiday dinner hosted by my employer last night, when it began to snow very hard and I nearly spun out twice on the freeway on the way home, even then I began to have doubts about my prospects of making any headway over at the old homestead. And these doubts flowered overnight into a full blooming arboretum of indifference to my sometime intended labor. It wasn't just that four inches of the fluffiest had fallen overnight and coated our world in a blanket of snowy white apathy, for apathy can be shaken off if one is in the right frame of mind to do it. On this particular day, however, flying solo was not an option. I have walls that need raising, and they are too heavy for one man to lift alone. Skilled though I am in planting notions and other things in people's minds and bringing them on board with my intended courses, I was not up to the challenge of wheedling anyone into coming with me. I had not accounted for a snow day in my plans. I had thought a mere, say, would you mind helping me lift a few walls today, would do the trick, as indeed it would have in the absence of snow cover, fresh snow cover. Fresh snow, however, means that everyone is in the mood to do something actually fun and diverting, self-included. So I resigned myself to fate and the will of the people and prepared myself to hit the slutty hill. We learned our lesson long ago. Always stock up on sleds far in advance of a fresh snow. Never mind that we live in Minnesota, where people ought to know better. If on the morning after a snowstorm you think you are the only one to get the idea of popping off to Target for a cheap new sled with which to have some winter fun, you are wrong. Dollars to Donuts, two other chaps brighter than you and earlier risers have already had the same idea and made off with the only two left in stock this late in the season. So by now, we have built up a nice little armada of seven or eight sleds to be used readily in any winter snowfall situation. Mr. President gave the signal to be to quarters, and our well-rehearsed drill of pushing each other around in the entryway, fighting over mittens, and muttering at each other to hurry up and get outside and get out of our way commenced. I thought I was really clever Dan this time, when, loosing myself down the hill at high speed, I let out my new battle cry. For England and France. That's just our kind of thing around here, you know. But Dave was less than enthusiastic. We already thought of that one a long time ago, back when we were building Rob's house, in fact, he said. I found this somewhat hard to believe. But I have never known Dave to lie about a satirical battle cry. Still, though, since we did both come up with it, it must be worth keeping around. And thus was born the idea for the place's latest exclusive association, the Anglo-Francophile Society. 
a coterie of people like-minded in their warmth of feeling for both England and France. Not to mention off of beat sense of politics and nationalism. Working tirelessly for the unification of these two great cultures in their classical forms, as well as what remains of the modern ones, of course. Required 101 introductory level curriculum being such things as Horatio Hornblower books and a series, Shakespeare's Henry V, speaking as it does to the erstwhile unification of the two countries, Master and Commander books as well as Russell Crowe movie. McCullough's biography of John Adams, as well as the HBO series with Paul Giawetz's face. A Tale of Two Cities by Dickens in whatever form you can lay her hands on. Wishbone version being the sole exception. And the book, at least, of The Scarlet Pimpernel by Baroness Emma Ortsy. I'm probably forgetting some. But anyhow, 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 seeing as all of us have already made ourselves pretty familiar with most or all of these, it's a good fit. Insignia and secret handshakes, perhaps even local events chaired by a live-captured parliamentarian, are in the works. Planting notions, as I hinted earlier, has been a trick of mine, with which I have toyed about ever since I first discovered I could do it. Long ago, I realized that any book or magazine left in the bathroom would soon be thoroughly read by the entire local populace, and its contents carefully considered, the audience being understandably a captive one, in certain senses of the term, without my ever having to say a word about it. This realization left me free to shape and influence the minds of my friends and relations by means of timely introduction of choice material into the bathroom stacks. One has to use this kind of power wisely, of course. The accidental positioning of Machiavelli's The Prince or Sun Tzu's The Art of War by simply forgetting to take them out again with you when you leave the bathroom could throw the entire household into an unfortunate paradigm of false alliances, power grabs, and adversarial posturing. Nor were all such experiments so overtly ideological in nature. I have found that a month's placement of Winnie the Pooh, or the narrative of Shackleton's endurance, for example, has been sufficient to instill a set of imagery on the collective mental canvas, to which I can later allude with remarkable effect when making a point at the dinner table. Of course, the project has met with limited success ever since it was actually noted and public comment passed upon it. Now, every bit of mildly interesting reading material that finds its way into the bathroom is viewed through the slanted eye of suspicion, as having very possibly been placed there for some underhanded purpose, with the result that the only books anyone trusts anymore are the ones they bring into the bathroom themselves. Notions of other kinds can be planted as well. Once I brought in a 12-pack of Tab Pop into work purely as a joke, and was shocked to find its contents had disappeared after only a few days. Not long after this, I discovered I could inject a kilo of sugar into the corporate bloodstream at will in less than half an hour by simply placing a bag of Butterworth's hard candies in a bowl near the counter by the front door, with predictable results on the hour-to-hour productivity curve in the office.
hear the tolling of the bells, iron bells. What a world of solemn thought their monody compels. In the silence of the night how we shiver with affright at the melancholy menace of their tone. For every sound that floats from the rust within their throats is a groan. And the people, ah, the people, they that dwell up in the steeple all alone, and who tolling, tolling, tolling in that muffled monotone, feel a glory in so rolling on the human heart a stone. They are neither man nor woman, they are neither brute nor human, they are goals. at the moon she is shining up there oh mother she looks like a lamp in the air last week she was smaller and shaped like a bow but now she's grown bigger and round as an o pretty moon pretty moon how you shine on the door and make it all bright on my nursery floor you shine on my playthings and show me their place and i love to look up at your bright pretty face and there's a star close by you and maybe that small twinkling star is your little baby. has been the Howell Creek Radio address for Monday, March 2nd, 2009. I'm Joel Duick. The poems were Fourth Verse of the Bells by Edgar Allan Poe and The Moon by Eliza Lee Fallen, Cambridge, Massachusetts, 1832. If you'd like to get in touch with me, you can contact me privately via email at joel at jduick.net or publicly via my Twitter account twitter.com slash joel d 